Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of Chat with myself, Brian Carney. This is the podcast that focuses on the experience of artists in the dance scene over the past 12 months. Delighted to be joined today by my good friend, DJ producer, Snyder. Liggy, how are you, man? Good, mate. Good to see you. It's been a while. Nearly a year since we spoke face to face, actually, uh, albeit virtually now. But yeah, it's been John's wedding, I think, was the last time, wasn't it? So yeah, that's right, n- yeah. N- nearly a year now. I know, that was the last time. I think it was the same I was saying to Brendan last week, Factor B on last week's show, the show from two weeks ago was uh, John's wedding was the last time that I was sort of around anyone or uh, yeah. it was like I need the last sort of social gathering that I was at or anyone was at and <laughs> it's a recurring theme and the question within this show was just like how much the world and how much our lives have changed over the past 12 months, it's insane. So. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy, man. I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words. How the last twelve months has been for me, actually. But you know, kicking things off, my last gig was in Transmission in Australia, which you know was obviously an unbelievable gig. So we were coming down off a high off that, and then John's wedding, and then you know the gig started falling out of the calendar around uh, March time, and I sort of took it with a pinch of salt, to be honest. You know what I mean? I thought like it was going to last six months. I didn't really. I knew it with virus was a threat, but I didn't think it was going to go on this long, obviously. Uh, and, you know, I think it was just testing the water like everybody else and just seeing how things went. But the stage it's got to now is just absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think, I think we're like, in the industry that we're in, we're like bottom of the heap whenever things is going to come back. Because our, our career and our, our lives and, and what we do depends on so many different factors you know like traveling company social restrictions social distancing flights packed clubs like we are bottom of the heap when you think about it and i don't i don't want to sound like a killjoy but i think it's going to be a while before it comes back to the way it was where we're just hopping around every country under the sun over a weekend do you know what i mean i don't think it's going to be like that for a long time yeah, that's i was like that's why i sort of felt when i saw that asa have announced their the show for um, obviously I don't know whether I'm going to be playing at it now but um, it was just it was really good for me to see that there's yeah. a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and especially for it being such a, a large scale event and the thing for me as well is that uh, with it being in Holland Holland is a very forward thinking liberal country and they sort of yeah. it's not like where dance music is looked down upon Uh it's like it's seen as one of the main exports from their own country and they, they use it for their tourism and they use it for everything. They're proud so, of it. They're really yeah, proud absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure like maybe the the Dutch government are working alongside ASA to, to try and make things progress and move forward. Whereas compared to Ireland, Jesus Christ man, they have no interest in anybody in the entertainment industry or anything like that. They have absolutely no idea how any of this stuff is, is going to come back or a logical way out of this. And look, I understand we're going through a pandemic and there's far more important things than people going to a nightclub or going to events to enjoy themselves. But it, it, it would just, I just say fair play to the Dutch for looking like they're, they're trying to find a way out of it and giving people an opportunity to look forward to rather than being just stuck. And it just feels like we're just stuck here. I know, man. Listen, if it, if there's an event going to happen anywhere in Europe, first it's going to be there. You know, Absolutely, the Dutch, yeah. the Dutch, like you said, have always been so forward thinking in front in terms of dance music and so uh, accommodating, and it's sort of like they have a pride around it. And 
you know, they're not afraid to show the world how how proud they are of their artists and and Ireland and UK in general is just like dinosaurs when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, you know, the very scene that we live in, I think I put this on Twitter, it, it was born out of rebellion against these very people and their attitudes, do you know what I mean? Like the underground raves and all the, you know, the parties back in the early 90s and, you know, late 80s were all illegal and it was it was born out of frustration and born out of sort of re- rebellion. So nothing has changed, man. And like, for me, the revenue that the, the that dance music brings through tourism and through everything else is just ridiculous. And for them not to address it and just leave people to basically rot and fend for themselves for me is just it's disgusting only yeah it's it's wor- uh, it is it is worrying that they're just i personally think that events will return there's more chance of a, an event returning say in belfast or somewhere up the north rather than down yeah. south because they, they oh man they just don't have a clue what they're doing there it's like something out of father ted these lads in charge of a country they are they haven't a clue what they're doing man, I, i'll be I'll be totally honest with you. I gave up watching the news a long time ago because it's just like, did you ever see Banny Hill where they're chasing <laughs> each other and that music? That's just what reminds me of every time I switch yeah. it on because it's yeah. just fucking pantomime at the stage. Like, and it's not even that they're making it up as they go along. They're just fucking absolutely winging it. Like, and it's just, mm. at, at this stage, like you said, it's ridiculous. So I would love to... I would love some positivity in the form of something just to happen, just to sort of give us something. But in the UK, I don't see anything happening for this year. Even like I don't want to sound it like again being sort of like killjoy, but I'm just trying to be real myself and how, you know, I think this podcast is great what you've done because it's given people to actually speak their minds and how everybody's feeling as an individual because let's face it, you know, 12 months ago, our whole world came crashing down. It was like, one minute you're like top of the world, you're like at the peak of your career, you're gigging, you're like, you know, you're driven and next minute it's just all gone. It's like, I don't think people can, I don't think people can sort of like realise how that drop in something affects you. Like when basically the the career that we're in, your whole life is consumed by it. Like, you know, the the, the workload that goes into sustaining a, a career in dance music is just relentless. And you know that yourself. Like, yeah, because you know, like, you'd be the same as me, man. We have a very sort of similar work ethic and we, we like to do things ourselves and we put our heart and souls into our music, everything we do. And and it, it, it's almost like an addiction as well, the, the performing and traveling all over the world and, and playing the music and like, people don't understand the high that you can get from playing in front of a crowd and like my last gig was at like ASA in Holland last February February 15th yeah. and like playing with John at Key 4050 and in front of what 10 15,000 people and I haven't yes, played a gig since man <laughs> my gigs have been in my kitchen on my own in front of an iPhone um, just trying to make the most of it and there's not much I can do so so that thing that brings me so much um satisfaction and makes me feel what I'm and doing is wor- from, yeah. from everyday life you absolutely know I mean? man like you, you the, like you're, you're in this your flow state sometimes when you're performing on stage like nothing else matters all you're doing is just playing that music and you're absolutely loving it so it's tough that it's been taken away from us um and as you said it, it's it's difficult to be positive when it doesn't feel like it's going to end anytime soon so you're you're the same as me man we've just tried to start to stay as relevant as we can and sort of yeah, do man, what we like can. Do, doing the wee streams and all the rest and looking even at social distancing events and all, I'm looking at them and, you know, 
I can't, I'm not faulting anybody for doing them because I know that people's just trying to put on a brave face and trying to make the, the best of a bad situation. But man, that, it's just the buzz isn't there for me with that. Like, you know, I like the full crowd, like the, the full, it's it's all or nothing for me, you know, that way. Like I, it's, I started out in this game to be a DJ. That's what I started out as a, a, a DJ. I only got into production as a means of getting me gigs, do you know what I mean? I wasn't a producer to start with, so... DJM is what it's about for me and what it always has been. So to have that taken away, after like I started DJM was thirteen years old, man. You know what I mean? Like I've been DJing a long time, and having that, getting that stage of where you're playing out, and after all that work over the X amount of years, and then just having it taken away, has really affected me mentally. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't. I've always been such a positive person and sort of like you know. Like you said, a bit like yourself, very driven. But I think <clears throat> in order to keep sustain that that drive, you need to be reaching small goals all the time. You need to be ticking boxes. Do you know what I mean? Like you're aiming towards this six months. I want to be doing this. You get to it, and then you're moving on to the next thing. When you're not ticking them boxes, man, what what are, what are you doing it for? You yeah, that, that's that's exactly the same for me. So, so say like 2019, I was booked to do uh, the second Carney set that I've done, and I was doing it at Dreams Day. And the fact that I find that out like six months in advance gives me that spark and that drive to say, right, I have something to aim for here, and, and this is what I'm gonna, aim, this is where I'm gonna put all my focus and attention into. It. And it's yeah. it's like you have an end goal, and you see the target, and that's what you're working towards. But it's just at the moment, like I have music that I've been working on for the past year or so, and like it's it's really really good. But I just. I don't want to just play it on a stream and it's gone because it's not going to have the same connection. Like there's some of the stuff is really, really good that I've made, but I'd rather just wait and keep it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what that's why I'm saying about the ASOC gig. Obviously, again, I don't know if I'm going to be playing. But I'd like to think that I would be playing at it. So if yeah. if I had something like that, man, that would do so much for me mentally and just it would it would give me a spark within me to eat, to work even harder and to make more tunes to make a, to to create a set for that occasion that's just all brand new music just roll in so many brand new tunes and just hopefully people will love it and probably yeah. probably similar for yourself see man like I was listening to the other podcasts you've done with uh, uh, Factor B and Shugs and you know you think you touched on this as well like you know having all this music and not be, being able to play it out and I think like part and parcel of being a DJ and, and making the tunes the best that they can be is road testing them and sort of, you know, like seeing the reaction. Some of my best tunes I've played out and I've tweaked them like, you know, I've changed them a lot based on crowd reactions and based on what I've seen on the dance floor because I'm the sort of DJ where I read the dance floor and I'm looking at people, what they're doing. And, you know, obviously different territories that you play around the world are going to have different reactions to music than others. But you sort of get the general vibe of your sound, what what way, what works best where and what you're trying to do with that tune. And not being able to do that has been uh, tough to sit and write music. Uh, you know, obviously you get a starting point and you're just away doing whatever, but it's the, it's the fine tune and the sort of, the, the parts that make a tune a tune, in my opinion, that you're not getting that sort of... Uh, opportunity to, sh to showcase it and road test it and I think at the very start of the lockdown whenever things turned in March April time man I was on fire in the studio because I was having like regular sleep patterns uh you know I was getting up I could work at my leisure you weren't rushing anything you weren't jet lagged 
I was writing the tune every week, like, I swear yeah. to God, I have them stockpiled now, I have a load of them sitting there, and I was just writing some of the best music I've ever written, and I'm just keeping it all for something uh, that I'm working on at the minute, so I'm just, like, stockpiling all that, and then, obviously, as you know, my dad took a turn in May, uh, he fell sick, and everything just came fucking crashing down for me, man, it was just like, uh, you know, he went to hospital and we couldn't see him because... Obviously, COVID was kicking off and he was like really ill and we were just like worried because something would happen and we'd probably never get to see him again, do you know what I mean? Because of the whole situation. And uh, he got out of hospital then, at the round, uh, he stayed there for like near a week and got out. And just the whole lot, just from that, it just progressed over the whole summer where I just couldn't really focus on music because it was all the time phoning my mum, you know, asking how he was, how he was doing, stressed out, worried, you know what I mean? And fair play to the guys from Northern Ireland Trans Family and stuff, they started to reset the same thing and I was going out with them guys. I was keeping my mind occupied, you know what I mean, doing the streams and whatever with them guys and, you know, props to them lads. They're a great bunch of lads, like, do you know what I mean? They, they really helped me out, like, as far as... Cause I don't even own, own a set of decks, man. I so, sold my uh, CDJs in 2010 because I just didn't need them, do you know what I mean? And I didn't have a set, so they were, like, sort of helping me get the streams together and all and, you know, just keep my mind occupied, really. Uh, and then, you know, things just went from bad to worse from my dad, like, and it was just the end of the year was just absolutely horrific, like, you know, I just so, can't uh, even... how long was your dad actually in hospital from when he, when he turned sick till when he... Um... <sighs> Past. He took a, a minor sort of like heart attack in May and he was in hospital for about a week. So they'd done various tests and whatever and then he got out and he was told that his heart was only run on a certain percentage and he wasn't, in my opinion, because of COVID, he didn't get the aftercare that he should have got because, you know, I think I've been seeing a lot of this in the news and people getting various treatments or whatever. They're basically being neglected because of the situation. Uh, and he, you know, he's he seen a few people, but he, he just didn't look well, like, do you know what I mean? And I yeah. knew something wasn't right, like, and uh, my dad is the sort of guy, he's like myself, loves building work, loves being in amongst it, do you know what I mean? Like, constantly, if I'm doing something to the house, he's out every day, you know, like, tell me what to do and like you know whatever and we're arguing just stupid father son yeah. shit do you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah. and just, but what I wouldn't give to have those moments just now just one of them you know that way but it's just like yeah. typical father son shit he know, I know it all he knows it all you know what I mean so it was You're just too similar man that's what it is yeah so you know he wasn't coming out he wasn't interested I, I built a walk-in wardrobe at the house spent ages on turned the whole room into walk-in wardrobe he would have been out like loving that, you know, the whole buzz of it. He wasn't interested, so I knew something was wrong. Like, and I just like like I said, the whole summer, uh, was hard on me mentally because I was trying to make music, keep the streams going, but at the same time worrying, uh, was I going to get that phone call? Something was going to happen. Yeah. And then on the twenty seventh of September, Sunday morning, never forget it. Got for some reason, man, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep all morning. Uh. I was lying in bed just wide awake. My mum phoned me. It's just a complete panic. My dad took another hard attack, so I just uh, jumped into the car, sped, in, sped into the house, got to the house. Uh, she was trying to resuscitate him, and he was gone, man. It's mm -hmm. just like absolutely brutal. See, that morning, I just, 
it just plays through my head, like, you know what I mean? Constantly, I've had nightmares for two months, like. Yeah, it's horrible, man. I'm getting a bit... <laughs> no, Jesus, man, it's, it's uh, like, I'll give you a, a minute there to sort of process what you've said, because it's, it's, it's tough talking about this stuff, but, like, as I said, me and you were fairly similar. I've been through exactly the same thing. Like, my dad's anniversary was last week, and it was, like, five months, or sorry, five months, five years since he passed in, in um, January 2016. Yeah. And... and it was exactly the same for me like he sort of he just wasn't feeling right for a few months in advance and he was in and out of hospital and he was just sort of he just wasn't himself and uh, I always rem- I always remember that like I have always got on really well with me dad but probably with the similar similar as yourself I, I wouldn't be ringing him up for chats or no, real close to him like it's 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 Irish uh, father son relationship yeah. but we, we we always got on well like it was, it was we had a really good relationship and uh he started ringing me um, sort of every week to sort of, he was taking sort of more of an interest in what I was doing and where I was playing and stuff because uh, I always remember when I was growing up, he was always asking me when am I going to get a real job and I, I always going to, I was just, because I, I, uh, I only went professional at DJing in, in 2009, I was um, was an apprentice electrician before that, it was the worst electrician you can ever imagine. So uh, I sort of did that to, to sort of keep him happy, but to sort of have something else to fall back on. But I've known from the start that this was all I was ever going to do. So he sort of just had to accept that in the end. But um, he was ringing me to see how I was and, and where I was going. And, and when, I, when I think back to that, I, I probably, it probably uh, makes me realise he sort of had a feeling that something, something was sort of up, you know. Yeah, so he had then, a bit of an Yeah, so then he was sort of getting um, various symptoms and stuff, and then he was diagnosed with like pancreatic cancer in December 2015, and uh, like that's that's the worst that worst type you can get. There's there's, there's no comeback from that. Yeah. So he sort of um, he sort of lost belief in himself, where he sort of just gave up a little bit, and then he sort of it's the same, yeah, yeah, and then he sort of he he sort of came back to life a little bit then. And Christmas 2015 would have been the last time that he was in our house. And my dad, like myself, is a is a Man United fan. So he, this is he's that's something he's passed on to me. And I always remember the last game that we watched together in the house it was possibly the worst performance that I've ever seen from them. It was it was uh, there. Was a when, few of them yeah, the last well, absolutely, man, absolutely <laughs> terrible. But uh, Louis Van Gaal was in charge of the team. And uh, he said, I said to him, he has to get sacked. And my dad goes to me, I'll be gone before he's gone. <laughs> so um, he yeah. went back. He went back into hospital then, and like he was in there for uh, the next three weeks, and he wasn't really getting any better, and he was sort of uh, deteriorating bit by bit. But he was still sort of. Um, he was all right. He was chatting away and stuff, but you could see that it it was on the cards and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. But so I had to in the mid January. I had to travel over to uh, San Francisco to play at Dream State, and like I, I didn't know what to do. Was I did I go? Did I cancel the show? Did I stay with my family in the hospital? Because I was in the hospital all the time then. So. I spoke to my mom and he spoke to me dad and he said, go, go to it. So the last time that I actually ever spoke to him was the night before I had to fly away. Yeah. Man, um, I just basically just said goodbye. It was, it was tough, you know, so. And it happened that weekend? No, it didn't actually. No, I went, did the gig 
and I just sort of tried to put everything to one side and I actually really enjoyed the gig and I was spending time with like John O'Callaghan and Fatty and we were going for stuff to eat and it was good just to sort of um, take my mind off it and to get out of that but I knew that I was going to be flying back into a very difficult situation so I got back into Ireland on the Monday afternoon and I went straight to the hospital and I was in the hospital like for four days, I slept in the hospital and all like um, all my family were there all his uh, all his friends and stuff were coming in and out of the hospital, but it, it was a really difficult um, time, but I also found it really, really nice as well because I don't see a lot of my family too often and I don't really get time to spend where we're all together in the same situation and I know it was a really difficult situation that we were in, but it was just really nice to be surrounded by my family and just to have them around me because it's it's something that wasn't there. Uh, it's not something that was, um, I was used to that stage, but <laughs> I give you something, as as terrible as it was and, and as sad as it was, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my whole life <laughs> happened. I think it was the day before he passed, but one of my dad's friends that he grew up with, he's um, he suffers from Alzheimer's. And he went in to see him and he was in there talking to him for a few minutes. We were all sitting outside, obviously real upset and stuff. And my dad's friend with the Alzheimer's walks out of the room and he looks over to us and he goes, Jesus Christ, he's in great form. <laughs> and my dad was literally, he was lying there saying nothing. But honest to God, just just to break that um, that tension. That and moment, yeah. Oh, it was, fanta- it was fantastic. It really was. But uh, No, so, man, it's, fun- it's, it's funny you say that because like, through the whole grieving period now, uh, like like I said, I, I never really have time to spend any time with my family or even see my dad's friends. I probably didn't know many of them, only through working through building construction. I would have met them briefly, but you know yourself, when you're on building sites, there's no real dialogue. It's just slagging much, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was like, it was only after. Sorry to, so, sorry to interrupt you just on that point. Like, men don't talk, man. They don't talk. <laughs> no. They just pretend that they're these hard men oh, I'm stronger than you, whatever. Like, they just don't talk about their feelings around like this because they think that's a weakness, but it's not like this. This type of thing is stuff that people should be talking about, men especially, because men in our age group, they're the ones that are most likely to take their own lives. So 100% this stuff man, like, that needs to be spoken about. I I would fall into that bracket of not, like, speaking to my, about anything like that. I'm just, I keep everything closed in. I'm sort of that, that sort of person because I've been brought up working on sites and you know, among men, men sort of people like, and it's just not that sort of environment where you let your personal things come, go to the forefront. So for me, it's like, I don't think I've ever, sp- I don't think I've spoke to anybody about my father passing away, really, only yourself on WhatsApp messages and that's the God's honest truth. As yeah. weird as that may sound to you, I just don't, I haven't really sort of like, I think at, we we engaged in some WhatsApp messages a while back there, and you know you sort of put my mind at rest because you sort of said, you know what, man, you you're never going to get over this. Like it's never going to go away. You're just going to have to learn to sort of deal with it. And that was sort of like a reality thing for me, saying, right, what am I sitting waiting on here? I can't. I have to like sort of you know accept this and and find a way of dealing with it rather than sort of putting it waiting on something magical happening if you know what I mean where it's just going to disappear because it wasn't like you know what I mean uh, and just that that sentence that you wrote was really reassuring for me you know what I mean and I sort of turned the corner the next day because 
I started getting out amongst my dad's friends were phoning me and stuff and they were telling me stories about him about like how amazing of a man he was and stuff that I didn't even know about like and I was starting to turn uh, my grief into positive memories do you know what I mean and that that sort of has helped me a lot and also now I'm back literally only the last four or five six weeks writing music again and I'm sort of using my emotions the only way I know how I'm trying to put it into music do you know what I mean so yeah that coupled with a few other wee bits and pieces started uh, walking like going to the mountains and stuff clear my head trying to get a bit of balance back in my life because I've realised one thing I've realised over the last 12 months is that you know I used to be a very outgoing person used to be like love socialising love going out with my mates used to always like love messing around you know loved a bit of crack and I'm not that person anymore because the industry has done that to me. It's separated me from that life, if you know what I mean. It's and done the it, same to me, man. I, I I've spoken about this. Like I, I yeah. sort of just all I did, all I became was the DJ, and I sort of just never went saw my mates and never had any, any nights out. And then I was wondering why I felt like there was something missing in my life, you know? that void of like, you know, socialising and just having people taking the piss out of you and whatever when you're on a night out with your mates that only you can do with your real mates yeah. is something that you need in your life man I don't care what anybody says and that's something that I've really neglected and you know I don't think people realise like I said how how full on time consuming and how much you are in the bubble when you're working in, in, the, in music when you do everything yourself like I'm making my, my own music, run my own label, man, I'd even do the own artwork from my releases, everything, I do everything, the only thing I don't do is distribution, black hole look after contracts and distribution, but everything else I do, it is too much, and I'm starting, to, going to outsource most of it next year, when I start back again, but I need to get that balance back in my life, I need to have that, be back to the, the, the people person that I once was, and sort of, you know, having that, spring in my step and you know I've, I've just turned into somebody that I completely hate not that I completely hate in, a, in terms of my family but just like not the person that I was if you know what I mean that I yeah, don't like being I think it comes back to being addicted to our work honestly think think we are a lot of us are and I think you can sort of see that from <clears throat> people certain people who have uh, been working over the past year they're, they're they're relentless with their work ethic and stuff. It's like they they just can't take a step back and sort of live their life. Maybe they are, maybe they are when they're not posting stuff online. But it it it's definitely an addiction. It wasn't an addiction for me one hundred percent. Whereas like I wasn't, yeah. I should have taken. Well, I don't want to use the word should. I didn't. I can't go back and change it. But it's something that I can focus on the future. I can spend make sure I make time to go and see me mates and for us to have go out for a pint or go out and watch a football match or go to games just to. Because your the happiness in your work will come from your happiness. Like your your life is a, a pie chart. There's all different parts, yeah. and if, if one of them isn't filled in, it's not going to work correctly. So, I know from now when I'm moving forward, I'm I'm definitely going to make more of an effort to focus on who who the normal me is rather than the the DJ etc. Even like at the start of last year, I went back playing five aside football because I just wanted to do something where a little bit of normality and I wanted to play football with lads who couldn't give a fuck about what tunes I make or where I'm going oh, in yeah. the world I'm on that pitch I'm just some fella who's come back playing football after being away for 10 years I'm no yeah. special person I'm just someone else So that's what you want man yeah but then the pandemic kicks in and the football stops so that that was another thing but um, I, I, I want to come back to your to your dad if that's okay because yeah. I'll just tell you about mine because um, 
the only thing better than an Irish wedding is uh, an Irish funeral. And as 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 devastating as it was for me to have to carry the coffin into the church and being absolutely broken and then going to the graveyard and all that stuff, I had an absolutely brilliant day that day. Whereas it was an app, it was a proper celebration of my dad's life and like talking to people and the stories where they were telling me about. My, my dad was a mad bastard, man, absolutely mad bastard, and. As well, he wouldn't want me sitting around feeling sorry for, feeling sorry for him or grieving for him or anything. But it, grieving it's it's inevitable when you lose a parent, man. It's it's one of the most traumatic things that any human can ever go through. And like there's 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 yeah. various stages of depression or not sorry various stages of grieving. Depression is one of them. But there's like denial, there's anger. Uh, there's bargaining, which which is what you sort of tipped on there, which is like you'd give anything just to have uh, one more day doing that sort of thing, things with them and working and stuff. And then there's the depression stage and then there's finally acceptance. And how I was over the first six months, I don't know if this might be similar for you. It was if it was as if my brain blocked out any negative memories or anything negative to do with my dad and all. I could remember was the good times and everything he did for me. I'm just wondering, was there anything like that that was similar for you? How it was being in your mindset, or have you drifted between those various stages? Obviously, you said you had the bargaining. Um, I would say I would say I'm on like it's been a roller coaster of emotions for me because I have been fortunate enough that I have never lost anybody except for my grandmother who was pretty close to. Uh, in my immediate family sort of like I've never th- this was a complete shock to me you know what I mean I've never felt this sort of grief before I've never had to deal with anything like this before in my family circle really uh, and for me it was unknown territory completely and not not that I'm saying that anybody you're, you're you, that you're going to be prepared for it because you can't prepare yourself for it you know what I mean it's just like the individual will deal with it how they see fit and how everybody processes stuff is going to be completely different but like going back to what you said I sort of went through multiple parts of that and, and a roller coaster of emotions uh, at the funeral obviously with being COVID-19 it was very limited numbers yeah that's there what was, I wanted to ask you was there a, was there a limit to how many people because um, I'm sorry to interrupt you again it's just this, yeah. this stuff is just coming to me as we're talking about it it's just like the, you want to see the amount of people that was at my dad's funeral man I've never never seen anything like that yeah. in my life and it made me really really proud of the person he was and how how um how much well, people liked the, him you know it was fun it was it's amazing for me and it it's it sort of a, I th- I think you should near that's how you should live your life live your life as if your funeral was tomorrow so that if you die tomorrow help how, how are people going to remember you don't yeah. bother with like petty arguments or anything like that let all that shit go and just like know, you, you man, never listen, know when it's going to end you know it's it's, it's every, i think it's important everything that you're saying there is completely true like like i mean obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic whenever this kicked off i think the funeral was limited to 30 people inside yeah. the actual church and i think it was like 30 people in the, beside the grave when he was buried but anybody else was welcome to stand outside and come to wake man there was hundreds of people and like it showed how much my dad was liked and how much people thought of him uh, even with that turnout like there was a lot of people obviously didn't go because they were in that age group of high risk uh, yeah. from COVID 
Like my dad was uh, 67, so, you know, he would have been in that age group where people, his friends and, and circle would have been, you know, a lot of people would have been afraid to come out. So, man, it was ridiculous. And, like, the stories that I, my dad's a very religious person, very, very religious, never, never drank, never like partied or anything only started doing that when he was like 50 not partying like but only started going out to bars and stuff because my wee brother he he would be like uh, 10 years younger than me so when he was like 18 19 my dad would have went up to the bar with him for a pint or whatever and he only started to really socialize as such then he was like he's all into he's a born again christian he he would read the bible a lot like two or three times a day he was very very religious Man, he used to drive me fucking mental. He like <laughs> see driving the work van. He used to tell me, You just don't even know. Like I'm going to paradise when I die, I'm going to paradise. He had this in his head. So I sort of take peace in that that if there's a heaven, he's in it. You know mm. what I mean? Uh a very, very religious person. He could have quoted you any any verse, any scripture from the Bible, anything at all. He could have just rhymed it off like us how much he knew it. And <clears throat> it, I only found out how good hearted he was like whenever he passed away his friends were telling me oh he used to do this job for a woman and maybe the woman had not much money he should pay him and he'd go up and put the money behind her clock and walk out and not even take the money for the job like she said they said that they seen him doing that multiple times like mm. and he's a very like selfless person you know what i mean like very uh and it was only like you said that i found all this stuff out after when we got talking to his mates and i've sort of has turned things into really good memories and thinking about celebrating his life rather than sort of like grieving uh, I know it's difficult I'm still waiting for him to walk through that door yeah. take the piss out of me yeah. about my music massive trance fans as well you wouldn't believe it that's, like. that's what I wanted to come on to yeah you, <coughs> you can let people know about that that he had an absolute huge love for the music uh, well, but I, I think in a way that could have been his way of communicating with you and sort of no, no, man. He's been. Was he's, he not known? He's he's always been a music person, right? He, I can remember when I was younger, he used to. Uh, he bought a set of drumsticks. I think he he always wanted to be in a band, but he just never could find the people or had had the drive to get in because he was a joiner by trade. So he was doing that, and that was his thing. He went and bought himself a set of drumsticks, and he used to drum on the arm of the armchair the Fleetwood Mac and Queen and all this stuff, and that was my first sort of intro, introduction to music. So I used to get up on a Sunday morning, used to be a thing on 2FM called The Beatbox. I don't know if you remember it. it was yeah, like, I think I do, yeah. I think I remember <laughs> that, yeah. And I used to watch the bands on that and drum with the drumsticks on the end of the seat. And he used to, you know, try and teach me how to drum to get the rhythm. And I think that's where my sort of obsession for the beat came from. And then obviously introduction to like Eurodance and all that sort of stuff started to become popular on the chart shows and it was interesting and whatever. But... My dad always wanted to be a drummer and I, I just know that because when my wee brother got a bit older he bought my brother a drum kit for his birthday and he has no fucking interest in drums and I knew the drums were for him. So he put them out of the yard and he said if you don't want them I'm going to leave them sitting out there. And I went in one day and I pulled up in the van and he had fucking ACDC going and I walked in and he was fucking beating the drums the cymbals and all and I caught him lovely. He didn't know why he was pulled up in the van. Like I, He had a bit of a moment like, and he was all I don't know. I'm going to give them to him, but I don't think he wants them. Do that way. But I just know he. Ha he. I think to be in this industry and uh, make music and love music, you have to really feel it. Like you have to. Yeah. It has to be inside you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Just, yeah. Uh, 
I talk to people about music, and I'm sure you do, that they're going to me, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you know, the way you feel it and the way you try, try, like music touches you as such, like, you know, the melodies and whatever. But my dad felt it that way too, because, like, funny enough, one of his favourite tracks was the one you and John did, the uh, Key 4050, I Love You one. Yeah, he, used yeah. to, he used to put it on. My brother actually sent it to me the other night in WhatsApp. He goes, remember that tune? He used to play that every Saturday night. He'd go... Sit, sit at the uh, dinner table put it on full boot drink two bottles of red wine head up to the pub and then mingle with all the old boys and just as if nothing was going on but he had his wee dance music moment in the house before he went up and he thought my music was shite by the way <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, he, uh, no he liked some of it but he just uh, that's, he, that's what I'm saying I was sitting in the studio and I was working away with the headphones on maybe and he'd come in and go that's shite you know like that just like joking about like uh, but he was a big fan of that Key 4050 track and also uh, Armin's track Burned With Desire and we actually found uh, I'm doing a remix of that actually yeah been doing we, a remix of that for the last year Just there's no point in me finishing it because I can't <laughs> yeah. play oh, yeah, it anyway. I, think I, heard, I think I heard of one of your sets actually yeah, you, you did road test it didn't you yeah that was just a bootleg mix but I've, I'm doing a, a proper mix so it's, it's literally just sitting on this computer and I'm just right. waiting, waiting for the right moment to... but we we got a, an acoustic version of that and we're going to play it going out of the church and they wouldn't fucking let us we were raging like, just the Catholic church you know yourself like everything's frowned upon so it was mm. a bit of a bit of a annoying moment for us because we know that's what he wanted like he hated all that hymns and all and all that stuff He it wasn't him even though he's religious he was a born again Christian so he wasn't into any of that he was into the way he believed things was that you have your own personal relationship with your God and Bible and you do it at home and you don't need to go to church or anything like that so that was his way of uh, the way he looked at religion <coughs> and he approached it and like I said man like I'm still waiting for him to come through that door and slag me I, I, I can't even bring myself to delete his phone number off my phone do you know that way I'm still waiting on him ringing me and just like wee stupid things I got I'll tell you a story about something like that about I don't know whether it was about four or five months after he passed but my phone started ringing and I looked at it and it was my dad's number ringing me was there what, uh. what the f- it was me ma ringing me off his phone because her credit was gone. I was like, Jesus Christ, what was going Fucking on? Fucking hell, man. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, yeah. <laughs> but like, um, I want to I wanna ask you, um, obviously that was about four or five months since he passed. Do you find that um, how you're feeling and that has affected the, the how you're working in the studio? Do you feel inspired or do you feel like there's certain melodies being sort of coming from you that have been inspired by those events and if you take it out I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my story after if, if you can sort of explain first I just don't want to speak over you first it's a strange one man because like you know like I said I haven't experienced anything like this before plus top that off with being in the middle of a pandemic which people's mor- morale is going to be low anyway like I've spoke to multiple DJs I've been keeping in contact like I, I have a very small circle of friends and in, in, the, in the scene that I speak to yourself you know, I'm not going to start naming them all, but it's like maybe four or five guys that I would speak to on a regular basis. I don't mean like every day, but, you know, weekly and like, you know, Sam Masters, whatever. And most of them that I've spoke to have went through highs and lows over the pandemic. You know, they've been making music and then they've just couldn't be bothered and whatever. So it's hard for me to answer that question truthfully and whether my dad passing away has really affected me in the studio because... I don't know whether it's that. I don't know whether it's the pandemic. I don't know whether it's the collection of the two. But I know one thing. At the start, I was fucking 
all guns were blazing. I was writing the tune a week, no joke, like not a full tune, but a good 70-80% of the ideas were there, put into a folder, onto the next one, because I know it just needs a bit of time to finish it off, all the ideas are there. And I was writing um, some of the best music I've ever written, really versatile, different. And then, you know, like I said, my dad uh, got sick. So it did obviously affect my workflow in the studio, but I don't know, man, like things are starting to come around a wee bit now over the last four or five weeks. Like I said, I'm, I'm trying to channel my emotions into music and it is tough. And, you know, trying to keep a routine down and a regular balance in my life is something that I'm fo- really focusing on now. And I think if I keep that in check, like you said, the music will come, if you know what I mean. So started the hill walking, the mountain walking, my brother every now and again, started, you know, looking at it and saying, you know what, I'm getting to spend some really quality time with my family here. This isn't going to last forever. Things is going to kick off again. Absolutely. going to be relentless again. Yeah. You know, it's not going to last forever. It is, it is hard to swallow now, but it's not going to last forever. Uh, and I'm not going to have that opportunity. Like, I missed most of my daughter's life growing up because I was either in the studio or touring other end of the world, speaking on speaking to them on Skype. I, I'm just using every moment now to be, like, precious family time as much as I can. I'm working in the studio. If I'm not getting it together, just get up, man, switch it off and go out and do whatever. Like, I'm just, you know... Trying to get the balance back. I don't know how your experience has been, but well, I'll I'll, I'll explain um, my side. So, my dad passed away January twenty second, twenty sixteen, and there was there was a track that I was working on. It turned out to be by my side. So um, I was working with. I reached out to Christina Novelli because she was probably you've worked with her as well. Obviously, you know how good she is. But uh, yeah, I reached out and asked if she could possibly. Uh, do a vocal so I sent over the demo with the music and the the vocal that she obviously did was centred around what had just happened to me and what I'd gone through and it was written by Roxanne Emery in in collaboration yeah. with Christina Novelli and I think she's gone through a similar sort of thing so the words um, sort of came from her as much as what had happened to me in the previous month and the, the, the lyrics are just exactly how I was feeling over the past month and I debuted at ASO and obviously it's it's a hugely um, personal track to me and <clears throat> I did a little outro mix of it there last year and I was only sort of listening back to it yesterday in anticipation of this podcast because I, I knew what we were talking about and I started crying here in my studio because it just, that's, it's a song that means a lot to me. Um, of course, it reminds me. It reminds me of a certain time in my life and just that I won't forget him and stuff like that. So then moving f- moving forward 12 months and as I was going through the certain stages of grief and sort of trying to deal with everything, um, I was waiting to receive the vocal from Plum, which came all over again. And I remember I was working on the track and it, it was it was roughly one, his one year anniversary and... I remember getting the vocals and putting them into the audio or the the musical part into the project into the on my PC, and the first time I heard the the chorus, I just I absolutely burst into tears because it just the, the, the words man. of the song just they could not have um, summed up how I was feeling yeah. and how I was trying to deal with what was going on in my head and it was just. It was it was tough, but it it felt 
it was like magical at the same time because it just felt like this this is this these two this vocal and this track were meant to go together because I'll I'll give you a little story behind that track I'd got two previous vocals for that track and I didn't use them because I didn't think they did the track justice yeah. and it, it was probably the feeling that when I put Plum's uh, vocal into the track how I was feeling about my dad and, and everything it just it just felt like this is why I didn't use those vocals so mm. I'm I know obviously the pandemic is affecting your workflow and, and your desire to finish tracks but I, I've I've no doubt that over the next few months or a year or so how you're feeling is going to come across in your music and I, I guarantee you you'll probably make some of the best tunes you've ever made in your life well I have a track written man a vocal track for for my dad that I, I've had basically just before Christmas sir I read I sort of got into the studio put down the melody so the melody done everything's there like I said probably in the same position you're in now the track's there it's the melody is unbelievable it's the best melody I've ever written 100% uh, but the vocal needs to be right so I'm, I'm, at, the, at the minute I'm in the process of finding a vocal for it if it takes a year so be it It'll, no I, won't be putting the, I won't be putting the track out until it's bang on uh, but this track was written specifically for my dad because I knew I know the type of melodies that he likes yeah. and I know it's something that we'll both enjoy melody wise so it was written with that in mind and yeah man it's like I think people underestimate the power of music and what it can do for you in your in, in a mental state and that going back to like the lockdowns and all the carry on that's going on in the UK I don't think how much people are realising or how much the government are realising that they're affecting people's mental health by taking away that th- the only thing that people have to escape from their daily life and especially been locked locked down all week people that have kids man like I have a child there myself which is climbing the walls like you know what I mean we're, we're actually doing homeschooling at the minute it's an absolute nightmare because imagine you're having to like send the school all the work that's just done all week and I mean like it's a full week of like sco- homeschooling and the child just wants to get up and play and she's not she's not in the zone she's not uh, focused and if you don't send uh, the work at the end of your week they get marked absent so you're now becoming a teacher a parent all this all under one roof you're not allowed to go out anywhere and you're just all like living on top of each other and if you're not a strong minded person I can imagine how it's affecting some people and you know I, I feel really sorry for uh single parents and stuff and people that don't have you know their partners like sort of support over times like this it's, it's going to be difficult times for for everybody but man you just have to like you know we just have to try and stay positive and see what's going to happen it's just it's crazy crazy times and you know it's for me it's just like one day at a time and, and one week at a time just see how it, it, pl- it plays out like it's exactly the same for me and and um one of the main reasons why I've, I've started doing this podcast is because I've never, I've, I haven't personally been affected by suicide. I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I don't know really anyone or families who have sort of um, had to deal with that. And I, do, I don't want to hear that one of my mates or someone that I know or hearing that like someone that follows me or supports me has to feels that down or that low that they yeah. make the decision to, 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 to do that so I'm 
I'm just like I'm, you want, I man. I'm getting so many messages from people telling me their personal stories, and I, I appreciate that so much. And for anyone listening in, as I said, I'll leave the DMs open on my Instagram. And if there's anything I can do, if I can record a video, if I can say happy birthday to one of your friends, if is any of your mates struggling, anyone that you know is struggling, if I can help them in any way, please reach out to me, and I will do. But I, I just I want to bring an awareness of like people probably look at us. See us in a privileged position, and, and we are. And I think I we're know. invincible, man. I yeah. think we're like untouchable. But everybody is. Everybody's has a weakness. Everybody is. We're, we're just normal people, like everybody else. Things affect us, and in, in the same way that they affect everybody else. I think, like you said, people seem to think that these DJs are up there. They're wrapped in, in, in plastic, and nobody can touch them. And it's sort of like you know, it's we're just normal guys, like anybody else. And and day to day things affect us, like. Just saying about suicide there, like Northern Ireland has one of the highest rates of suicide in the the UK. It's just ridiculous. Like me personally, I've lost five or six mates to suicide. That's alone. And that's just me thinking about anybody else. Like I know over the years I've lost so many friends. Like the suicide has just been ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it's amazing, man, what you're doing because it's given people the opportunity to... You know, l- listen to like me and you talk or whoever else you had on and just said, you know what? These guys are like giving us something to like hold on to here. They're giving us like some some sort of like uh, just some sort of starting point to, to, to sort of like go forward and, and look forward to. And sort of like everybody's in the same boat here, if you like, if you know what I mean, that sort of attitude. Uh, and, you know, like I said, g- growing up, growing up in Northern Ireland in the in the 90s going out to events and stuff and all that that affected a lot me and a lot of my friends growing up because it was tough because of the whole troubles and all the rest yeah. like man we used to have to change our names to go to events do you know what I mean because if you had found out who you were where you were from you'd have been shot like and that's that has a mental impact on you growing up as well like you know trying to even shake that yeah uh, and then moving into different things over life even though there's like peace here now it still was a traumatic time in, in life so you never really got to live like a, you know I was watching actually there last week the video that you and John done for Key 4050 where you were going around talking about the Temple Theatre yeah, and all yeah, and just, yeah, I was yeah. just watching it because it came up on uh, you know the way on YouTube it comes up like yeah. suggestions and I'd seen it before but I forgot what it was like and I, I just the way you were talking so much freedom and all but when we were growing up in the early 90s it was it was fucking tough, man. Like being into dance music and loving dance music was was taboo. Like it was a touchy subject back then here, and it was very risky business. My mom and dad used to be shitting themselves. Like, you know, was I going to come home? Because I just done what I wanted and went wherever. And I'm not sectarian or religious minded. I just have friends from everywhere. And I there was people come back to my shed out the back of my dad's house. We had party there Sunday night. Just locked the fucking door, man. Do you know what I mean? And just partied away, and. Nobody cared, like, and, uh, but over the years, uh, like I said, I got a wee bit older. I sort of realised that that, that that period really affected me mentally, do you know what I mean? Because you'd be going to other countries, and it's only when you start to travel, realise how good people have it. People don't realise, man, how fucking good they have it, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's people sitting whinging online and whatever, and they don't realise how good they have it, and it was only since I started to travel that... I started, you know, thinking about things and, like, my, my mind started to go. Uh, but, yeah, mental health is a big, big, 
big big topic man and especially now more so than ever yeah but I, I want to that's, that's the one really positive thing I want to mention about Northern Ireland I, I, I consider about the gigs that I do in Belfast they're as good as Buenos Aires up there 100% sure. and what you're saying there with how how sort of dangerous and how it used to be and compare it to now it's 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 unbelievable like it's it's something that the people in the north should be very very proud about how things have changed in so I say 20 25 years because i remember when like uh, planet love was in its infancy and like some of my mates were talking about going up to it and Man, I'll be honest with you, there was no way I was going up the north. I was too afraid to go up the north because it's the same sort of thing that you would say. You're, you're talking to someone in the crowd and they ask you where you're from. Oh, I'm from down south and that's, that's the end of you. But it's completely different now. Like There's, there's so many yeah. people who go to gigs up, up in Belfast and stuff or up in Lush. And it, it, it's just really... Um, it just uh, I'm, I'm a type of person where I'd rather get on with someone and have a laugh with them than have a fight with them. And it's it's great for me to see how much things have changed up the north, and how there's not really any of that stuff that goes on. It's a different generation now, and and everyone just wants to go out and enjoy themselves. And it's it's, I, the, it's, it's one of the best crowds in the world, and I absolutely love playing there. And the thing that's given me hope and something to look forward to is my first gig up there after lockdown. So it's, yeah, it's it should be very very proud. Yeah, man, listen. I'm buzzing. I, I I'm all for it. Like dance music has has I've made so many friends on both sides of the divide up here through dance music. Like some of my best friends, both sides of the community. People guys I know living in America now and whatever, and I still a friend of mine Denver would go over to uh, San Francisco and meet up with him and all. And we were all raved back in the day, but like you know, growing up here at that time, I think like in especially where I live, it was one of the most. Uh, sectarian areas and like there was a lot of murders here like growing up and it was really really tough growing up uh, but it didn't stop me man I, I, I had a, a, a love for music and a craving for, for, for music and I just went whatever it's only when I look back on it now I realise how actual, actually dangerous it was uh, and why my man and dad was so fucking worried about me going out at the weekends but uh, you know yourself man you're young and you, you don't think about them things you're just like man when I when I, when I think back to some of the stuff that I got up to in my 20s I know man but listen you're still the same person right that's what I another thing that I was thinking about you think oh I want to be back to the way I was you're still exactly the same person you just have more responsibilities now and you're thinking of repercussions more back yeah. then you didn't have those responsibilities you didn't think of the repercussions you just fucking went went man like you were out on a Friday and you were wearing the same clothes to Monday you didn't give a shit you know what I mean I don't know yeah Jesus man when I think about what I did to my body but in, in a way I wouldn't be the person that I am now today and sort of I, I have I know myself I have matured a lot in the past few years and yeah. if, if I didn't get all that out of my system in my 20s I don't know what maybe could have I'm happened sure, to me I'm sure man I can speak for you now that you feel proud to be part of something very special the movement that happened in Ireland and the dance music at that period there's nothing really happening like that now it was all fresh no. it was all mm. like it was all new to everybody like we were completely spoiled for DJs like th I'm looking back at old flowers I see people posting flowers and I was going Jesus Christ look at that lineup. like do you know what I mean and back then you didn't even look at because the next week there was another lineup just as strong. I think we were really spoiled for like you know massive lineups, massive DJs, just a club and culture in general and a movement that I feel really, really 
proud to be part of and re- I'm man, I'm really protective of the scene like believe it or not I get mm. really offended when people say things that I don't I get really offended about like uh, I guess I just I just feel like you know I'm part of it now and I want to be remembered as being part of it and, and have added something to it whenever I hang the headphones up whenever that's going to be and I'm I'd be really proud I'm sure as you will be yourself to know that you've added something to it and you've been you know instrumental in the journey of of trance and, and music in general exactly but it's sort of we just it, it comes back to the same thing me and you have a, a similar similar work ethic and we give a shit man we care about the music we care sure. about the scene we care about everything and we, we do it from a right place within we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it for the money or for the prestige or whatever we do it because we, we want to we want to f- I want to make people that know me proud of me and I want to yeah. be, I want to just show people what I can do and to, to leave an impression to I've, bring I've something won, different I, to the table I know we spoke about reincarnation and stuff but I've won opportunity as as who I am right now to leave a mark on the world and I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to do that in the best possible way that I can so that I'm just going to give it everything I can and I'll continue to do so that's it man like you know when all this is said and done and when you hang the headphones up and I do it like I'd like to think we have made a bit of an impact on the scene and you know people's lives going forward through our music and like you said the, the tracks that you've written have a, a special meaning to you and I know for a fact when I even speak about my dad that he was listening to your tracks and he's taken something from that so to know that your music has touched so many people over the world and it's amazing man do you know what I mean like you, you just take a step back and think about that for a minute how, how many people get to achieve that 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 sort of like you know actually doing that and sort of making a piece of music that touches someone or like can change someone's lives for a day or like can put change someone's mood from this to that like it really is amazing and I don't I don't think I'm just speaking for myself here it's only really the last year that I've really sat down and, and, and thought about what I do like do you know what I mean and, and mm. it's made me really appreciate it a lot more and Going forward, I'm going to be like. One thing I've uh, that I've taken from all this is that, over the last couple of years, I would go out and DJ, right? But I would try to educate people, and sometimes people, like my brother would say to me, or my dad used to say to me, sometimes people just want to hear a tune they like, like they don't yeah, want to be educated. Yeah, hundred percent. I've I've noticed I mean? that from from certain sets that I've done over the past year, like yeah. Uh, People just want to hear tunes that they like. Like sometimes no, you, you just need you need to put your own ego down and all right, I exactly, want to, I want to change the world by playing a set full of brand new tunes, whatever. Ninety percent tell educate people and what music's really about. But man, the nine the normal nine to five show blogs yeah. don't give two fucks. Like they just they want just, to hear the tune. Yeah, they just want to hear something that they know and they love. And I think that's important moving forward for myself. Obviously, I'll still try to make sets unique and yeah. sort of bring as much new people just want to enjoy themselves and like especially when we emerge from this um, situation and the clubs come back oh, do you think I'm just going to concentrate and make sure people have a, enjoy the set rather than just trying to bombard them with new tunes like send people home saying they had an unbelievable yeah. night like I used to get really pissed off because people used to come up and ask me all the time to play my remix of Carte Blanche and I, like, I used to play it every set and then I started like getting really annoyed but then I started to realise you know what the set that I played two weeks ago they weren't there you know what I mean they weren't at that gig so they wouldn't have heard that tune it's just because I was there playing it that I'm getting that thing and I'm playing it all the time 
So you sort of like have to sort of take a step back and, and put yourself on the dance floor again and take your DJing as a perspective as, you know, people just want to have a good time. You want to send people home happy and, you know, just be a wee bit more flexible. I'm, I'm just speaking from myself here personally, like, you know, I'm going to be just being a bit more relaxed about the whole thing going forward and just try, trying to bring a bit more fun back into the DJing like I do and really enjoy it. But sometimes you can get, you know, overload you know preparation and like making sure obviously the big nights that you're playing like the state of trances and the transmissions and all you have to prepare to a certain level yeah, do you know what I mean you're not because that music carries through for 12 months and like yeah, yeah that's the showcase <coughs> that's your that's a year in advance absolutely but apart from that I think people people are just going to want to enjoy themselves man hearing the tunes that they know and love and I think that's it's up to us to provide it to them 100%. Can, can you imagine man the next, the first party when we're, everything kicks off again it's just going to be absolute pandemonium like absolutely <laughs> uh, it'll be madness absolute madness 100% man as you're you're imagine it's going to be yours in Belfast your your show I hope the, so yeah I hope Telegraph. so I hope so. They, like, nor, nor, I, I don't watch the news, but there's certain things that I, I see throughout the day or whatever, and, and they seem to be making progress with the, the vaccine. Is that, like, are people being vaccinated? Up down well, here, is, it's a joke. But this is the worrying thing. That just just touching back that I'm why I'm why I'm worried and why I'm like stressed because they've they've rolled out a plan where they've, they've put this online where they're they've, they're going down a tier. Excuse me, they're going down a tier system of the people that's getting vaccinated. So. First of all, you're going to have frontline workers and then it's going down on a 10-year bracket. So you're going to have like 80 to 70-year-olds, 70 to 60, and that's going to be each month. So by the time it reaches general population in my age group, it's going to be September or October, and then they're going to have to allow for some sort of... Uh, Incubation period or whatever. You know, per- that's period, the yeah. Word, but. Yeah, per- period to see if the, the vaccination is even working among the general population. Like, they're not just going to open the floodgates and everybody goes running out and they're just going to wing it or back to square one again. So there's going to be two or three months there of, like, you know, keeping an eye on things, cases and whatever. That's going to bring you up to the end of the year, man, do you know what I mean? And, like, this is what has me really worried, like, because you're in the next year then. And not only that, but the gigs that you're, we have missed out on are all being rescheduled. So the same lineups are being times. the the same lineups are being rolled over. Mm. So it's going to be the year after that before you even get a crack at some of those gigs, those bigger shows. So it's going to be, I, I don't know where it's going to end. Well, that's what it really annoys me about the whole thing. It's just you know a bit stressful, but trying to stay positive uh, as I can, like everybody else, and you know put the effort in the studio, keep the streams going, trying to make people happy. Facebook's making that fucking impossible at the minute. Like, you know, they're, they're really being absolute killjoys for everybody. Everybody's dropping around to uh, YouTube and Twitch and just the reach is just, we're trying to help people and they're just doing their best to fucking bring it down for us. So it's, it's yeah, not like easy. I, I don't get, like, like fair enough, the, the record companies and stuff own the rights to this music, but like, it's me playing as one of the song off by whoever on my Facebook page and then the stream gets taken out is it really going to make that much fucking difference to your business are you going to lose out on that much money that you can't just let a fucking stream play for people to enjoy it for people who are stuck at home with nothing else to do and, and all we're trying to do as DJs is to play some music for them to listen to like there's not that many people you got, you're not going to miss out on that much revenue like, like I think they just need to cop themselves on a little bit and have a little oh. bit of leeway Man, I think if they introduced some sort of system where people were to, to pay, like a DJ was to pay 
X amount of money a month and then their fans could chip in to cover the cost so they were allowed to like play tunes you like know a, a could, license yeah like a license fee or something small like you know something realistic there there would be a workaround around it but they just don't want to do it man like Facebook is a, is has become an ad, an advertising based like thing now it's just ads is where the money's at and I, I've seen you talking to Brandon about that program and actually watched it there uh What's the the social, social dilemma? Social dilemma, right? And I was just sitting back in my seat, man. And I'm going to myself. This is fucking incredible. Like this is crazy shit that's happening now. Like mm. Facebook are they're not? They were took to court there recently. I think it was like last year, or the year before, where they were accused of uh, selling people's data to like third party companies, right? But they were very smart. What they're actually doing is they're selling behavioural patterns. They're not selling data at all. So what they're doing is. Say for me, for example, and I'm scrolling down my timeline, they stop at an advert for a pair of jeans or a shirt or something, right? And I look at it for a minute and then I flick on. They'll earmark that that I was interested in that them jeans. Yeah. They'll sell that on to a company and my timeline will be flooded with fucking the same jeans. So it's that's, yeah, that's what I was talking about with regards to the the AI and the intelligence that goes into this sort of data collection and stuff. And people having a clue, like as I said, we're humans, we're easy to read and like this AI it's reading or it's it's picking up on what you're looking at as you said if you're hovering over a certain thing it'll um it's able to see how long you're looking at it so then it can sell that data and i think there's yeah. even a thing where they're, they're able to read like the retina in your eye and they're able to Don't tell, tell me that, <laughs> that's that's what i've heard before i think there's an edward snowden video on youtube explaining what what smartphones actually do so oh yeah no i've, I've watched i'm mm. a big fan of him i've been watching him for years and he he has said like this the technology that they have in place now people don't even realize what they're capable of doing now this like reading watching people through their smart tvs and all that's yeah five, that's five or ten years ago stuff yeah the stuff that they have now is just ridiculous man i i just believe that half the stuff they have they're they're not getting the the, the rain to use it because it's breaching human rights and breaching various laws but once they get it man it'll and they're eventually they're breaking down them walls one by one do you know what i mean they're chipping away at them and they're invading your privacy one by one, and mm. it will it will come. Uh, but but this is the price you're paying for using like Facebook for free. <coughs> like you're not getting anything for free when you use no. Facebook. You're we, handing we, over everything, every single aspect of your inner uh, working system to them. When you sign up to Facebook and the small print, you're signing everything over, man. And you're you're like, you'd, people don't even realize like all these apps, TikTok, and all these different things. This is allowing them to, to as a to soften you down, yeah, like a breach of your privacy to soften you down, so that when they roll it out, you just say, ah, oh, it's just like whatever. Whereas if it had been before, like ten years before TikTok and they had rolled something like that out, you just said, hold on here a second, can't do that. That's like too much. Do you know what I mean? But they're softening you. It's like social, like sort of massaging you down, so that you you can sort of like accept things a lot quicker. Uh I don't know, man. The world's just turned into a scary place for me. I'm pretty up on my technology and stuff, and I keep up to date and stuff. Wouldn't call myself a conspiracy theory, but I do question a lot of stuff. Like, my dad was a f ridiculous man. He used to jump into the van and tell me people were lizards and everything, and I was like going, get out of this fucking van, do you know what I mean? Do you want to go down this? Will we go down this road? Ah, go ahead, man. Well, look, I have a lot to add to this subject because I've been following it for the last... 20 years because I'm, my dad I'm, is I'm up for speaking about this if you'd like to talk about yeah, it well, my, my dad was a massive conspiracy theorist right but I, 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 I sorry to interrupt you there I I hate that word man no I but think, it, I think it, I, I think all consp 
so-called conspiracy theory, that's just someone having the ability to question what the official narrative is and having an, uh, an alternative view to what they're being told. I only use that word, man, when it's somebody that goes too far. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, fair enough. I know I know some of that reptilian stuff and some of the David Ike, David Ike, whatever his name is, some of the stuff yeah. he comes out with. But I've been following some of that stuff over the past year and some of the stuff that was said a year ago was exactly what's come true. So, like, there's a lot of people who think along these lines. So, like, what, are they all lunatics? Are they all wrong? No, it's man, usually, like, like, I think the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. I think like a lot of people, right, on social media, especially on Facebook, they have a mindset and anybody that questions that mindset, it's like they've been conditioned, socially conditioned. Yeah. And then anybody that questions that mindset is like, it's a big thing to them. They like get really annoyed about it. And if you were actually speaking to that person face to face, you would have a completely different approach to it. You would probably listen to them. You'd be a lot more open minded because it's only typing and text that you're reading it becomes a threat and it becomes like it's the, where, it's the way you read it and the way your mind processes it. But if someone says it and you hear their actual tone of voice and you're in the same room as them, you would probably have it enter dialogue and have a bit of more of a conversation and a bit more be a bit more open mind minded. Yeah, because because when you're when you're communicating with someone on a, a social media or whatever, you're not actually communicating with them. No. You're reading words on your phone. And yeah. they're reading words on their phone. You're not speaking to each other. And no. like, I, I remember hearing something and a, a psychologist was talking about that, that that's really affecting um, people's way of like, communicating with people because you're not actually communicating with people. And like, this isn't really to do with it as well, but like, I don't think we really express our emotions properly now. Like say if someone sends you something funny, the first thing you do is to send back maybe three or four laughing emojis. But then if you actually look at your face, you're not actually laughing. So, <laughs> you know, it's, you, know what I mean? it's, you said this to me before. Actually, yeah, it's true. But man, I, there's a lot to be said for tone of voice and voice interaction because there's so many times, especially in this industry, that I've read an email and I've gone, what the fuck is that like? And, you mm. know, it's in my head. But if the person was actually saying that to me face to face and I heard their tone of voice, I would I would interpret that in a completely different way. It's just the human interaction is becoming less and less and less and it's creating a lot of divide. Uh, the actual human interaction as in face-to-face talking, I mean, uh, not meeting people. You've only to look at pubs and stuff now. You know, you meet someone, your friends, well, pre-pandemic, like you sort of meet your friends and you know everything about them that they've done all the week already because you've seen it all online. You fuck all to talk about. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? But like, touching back on like social media and the whole like, <clears throat> conspiracy I don't want to say the word conspiracy I only use that word right because my dad was like borderline mental because he comes from the generation where he believes that if it's on the internet it must be true because how mm. else could it get there you know what I mean he doesn't he doesn't know what it takes to get something on the internet he's not from that computer generation and I really do believe at this moment we're in a really we're at like a hinge at the moment and what's going to happen in life because you're coming out of a generation of people who are older and into a more internet informed generation who are like full of information question and everything the next 10 to 20 years are going to be really interesting because like I said you have that shift in the generation gap sort of like going down and another one taking over which are who are more informed people that are willing to question things like I know it's a taboo subject about vaccines and uh, 
COVID-19 and all the rest. But to me, the numbers don't add up. And the reason why I say that is because <coughs> when you see it on the news, X amount of people have died, they always write in small under it. After testing positive, after 28 days of, of uh, contracting uh, test, a positive test of COVID-19, it, they never say this person died specifically of COVID-19. They say, you, they always yeah, say after you, testing positive. You could have been asymptomatic with no symptoms and you could have got tested and then 20 days later you could be up on a roof, fall off the roof, go into, go fall off and die and you, you're going down as you die of COVID. And in, in Ireland, the, the former Prime Minister, uh, Leo Varadkar's his name, posted on his Twitter explaining that they counted every single debt. Um, I don't I don't have the thing in front of me, but he said it on his Twitter that they counted all debts, even when a, a, a case wasn't, or a, a test wasn't proven, whatever. So you're starting to think, right, these numbers aren't adding up. I, I, I want to start by saying, I don't think COVID is a hoax. I think no, it's, it's not. I, I know people have had it, man. I, 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 I fully believe that it's, um, it's real. And yeah. I, I feel... Who, for people who have suffered from it, people who have lost loved ones, I, I, my, my empathy is with you. And, and but, I, I, something from from when all this started last year, it it just seems to me like there's something else going on. It's weird, man. The, the 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 all the lockdowns and what seems to me is a lot of small medium businesses are being destroyed. And if if you take a look. The rich are getting richer throughout all of this. The likes, I'll probably have the government knocking on my door now after saying this and putting this on this yeah. podcast, but I don't care. This is my opinion. I could be completely wrong and I, I fully accept that. As I said, I don't think any of this is a hoax. I think it's really going on. But I think the numbers are being tampered with or jigged to fit whatever narrative the government wants to have out there. I think the same, man. I completely agree with you. Now, there's two ways you could look at it when you say about the big companies cashing in and making a lot of money. That could be just the fact that they're complete opportunists and they're just like fucking... Most of them, these CEOs are absolute scumbags, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They'll fucking make money at any... It doesn't matter what the cost yeah. or whatever. Psychopaths, they're, yeah. Psychopaths. They're in there and they're, they're taking advantage of it. So it's one way of looking at it. Uh, the other way is like... You know, the, the numbers, I think, are being manipulated, but for what? And I, I that's one thing I can't answer. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I, I'm like yourself, I sort of think that. Now, it'll be interesting to see, right, if they put this statistic up. So say someone gets a vaccine and they die a month later, are they going to put up such no. and such a person died within 28 days of taking the vaccine? I doubt it. You'll never see like, that statistic. I, I, I'm not I'm not anti-vaxxer or anything like that. I, I'll, speak to, I'll speak to my doctor who has looked after me over the past few years, I'll get his uh, professional opinion and if he tells me it's safe to take, I'll take it, no problem. I'm not going to have my mind persuaded by what I read on the internet or from people telling me this is going to happen or that's going to happen. No, I'll speak to someone who I trust and who has taken care of me and my health over the past few years. No, I'm the same man. I'm not anti-vaccine either. I've had vaccines. I would say that over the last year or so, I have become a, a wee bit sceptical, but it's only not based on what I've read, but just the fact that this vaccine's been rushed through a bit. I'm a bit sceptical on that front, but not, I'm not anti-vaccine in any way. My mum's a nurse. My, my sister's a nurse, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're two medical professions. They'll be giving out vaccines, no doubt. Yeah. My mum will anyway. So, 
I trust whatever she says. Do you know what I mean? If she she's had the vaccine, she had it like two weeks ago. Uh, she's obviously a frontline worker. So, for me, like I said, I'm a bit, a bit like yourself. I just like to read things. I like to be cautious, man. I have a fucking family. I have a daughter to bring up. It's got nothing to do with conspiracy theories here or reading stuff on the internet. It's got to do with my health. And that my, I'm here for as long as possible to provide for my daughter. I want to make sure that's rock solid. Do you know what I mean? And if there's any thing that comes into the territory where it's going to put me in jeopardy, I want to research it like and I want to know about it. It's my body, man. Nobody nobody can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. It's a decision for me to make. It's the same way as if it's a decision for me to do go out and do something bad to my body, whatever. There's people doing it and that's their decision. I don't question well, we it. We did it for know. years, man. <laughs> I mean, I, we did it for years when we I'm were I'm surprised younger. I have a brain cell left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like them... I used to party for days and I don't even know how I'm still here but anyway that's yeah, a story you, for another time <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's actually something I meant, I meant to uh, say to you um, you've mentioned that you're a DJ producer do you remember your uh, escapade into promotion when you booked me for a gig and there's about five people there <laughs> well, I'll, ta- I'll tell you a few cracker stories <laughs> I, I actually met the, 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 I'll just tell you the, how I get into music for a start like into production I met Jordan, Jordan was suckly on MySpace and at that time Jordan was been groomed by good grief to be the next Daddy Hollowell and you know there was no real Appleton back then or anything and I was listening to Jordan's mixes and I was going fuck this guy is incredible like you know he was very up tempo scratching all the rest and it was, it was exactly the buzz that I liked. Yeah it was the same but sorry to interrupt you like that's yeah. like I was, really, I, I was really close to Jordan then like, Jordan used to come over and stay in my house and he did like we did loads of back to back gigs and yeah, wild days, wild days. Yeah. Well, and and, jo- and I and I booked, like you said, I got into prom- uh, not promotion, but just running nights. And basically, the whole reason why I was doing it, wanted to make a few quid to set up a studio to start making music because Jordan kept on to me in MySpace at the time through private messages saying, "Man, I'm telling you, forget about DJing. Put your head into production. That's the way forward. The DJing will come after that. You're a good DJ, obviously. You know that'll just put that on ice at the minute." and just get into production and make that be your main focus and the you know he was coming from England and sort of the I could see things shifting that way so we booked Garth Emery to come over and play for us and a good turnout and Jordan came over stayed at my house and he played for us as well and he was fucking unbelievable man he was one of the best technically gifted DJs I've ever seen still to this day mm-hmm. Jordan is a fucking phenomenal DJ like there's nobody can take that away from him he just has that technicality in that presence he's brilliant like and he blew me away and he reminded me of myself when I first started getting into music and whatever and he kept saying to me leggy man leggy dog he calls me (laughs) just you need to get into the tunes you need to like hammer learn how to make your own music that's the way forward so that was my sort of that pushed me into sort of making my own music and then I continued on running the nights and I booked you and I had you up for a night uh I think Jamie drove you up that Did, night yeah, yeah. and just came back to my flat in Silverwood. I was living in Lurgan, Silverwood at the time, and I was drinking the green vodka. Do you remember? Yeah, it was the first time. It was the first time I had that uh, Polish vodka. It has the the stem. What Zabrufka. Yeah, Zabrufka. That's the one. Yeah, that's the first time I had that. But it, it's 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 mad, man. That was the first time I met you, and then you ended up back in your uh, apartment after, and then yeah. 
that that's real. 2008 man that would be around yeah, no, yeah man I, saw, I can't even look at that photo myself I look. I have it here on my phone too I'm going to post it in the comments <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you had the hair man you had the hair oh, that I, had every, I had everything man I had about an extra 10 kilos on me as well but uh, I remember that we went back to back to yours for a little bit of a party afterwards and we were in the the little deck room or the studio room that you had yeah. and it's, it's mad to think then like six years later that was the room that we made proper order in and next level in it's mad how life works out in the end it's crazy man because like I can remember when I first started out I, I, I would I, I was buying everything all the hardware everything I thought like I had all the gear but I hadn't a fucking clue how to make music and I just over time like at one stage I had a Soundcraft ghost mixing desk the same as Giuseppe's and I bought it off a guy in England for fucking 900 quid he didn't even know what he had them things worth about 4 grand and I sold it for like two grand to these guys that were banned. And that sort of wee bit of a lift of money from that sort of funded my studio. Bought myself a Mac, bought myself some synthesizer, out- outboard stuff and whatever and just got stuck into it. The music I was making at the start was fucking atrocious. I I sent, I think I sent you a few tracks and just a few guys that I trusted to give me feedback. And they weren't quite derelict, but... It's sort of like all my friends were telling me they were amazing and that's probably the worst thing you can do send your mates your fucking music because they're never going to tell you it's shit like and then uh, Jordan gave me John's email and I sent the tracks to John I still have the email saved the, the very first email John O'Callaghan sent me in 2009 and he said man these tracks are really really good and buzzing to find somebody new that's uh, producing music in, in Ireland of this yeah. quality and it was just around that time that he was launching the subculture label on Armada and he said to me look I want you to do me an EP because I'm launching this label and that's when I made On The Tomorrow and Facelift it was the two first tracks that uh, John picked up and yeah. you know credit to John he, he sort of nurtured me you know he gave me really honest and critical feedback which I really needed at that time helped sort of get my foot on the ladder and then after that I just sort of you know progressed obviously but that wee room man was fucking iconic like oh god like you know uh, that seems so long ago when I think about that now mm. I was actually speaking to Kasia yesterday uh, it was her birthday yesterday and we and we sort of had like a wee bit of a gather and we're sitting it's my birthday as well we share the same birthday I know man I mm. sent you a message I sent you a message <laughs> as well that's how, I, that's how I always remembered you're probably going this cunt's weird fucker remembered my birthday every year it's just because it pops into my head because yeah. uh, I know you share the same birthday uh, and I was just thinking to myself, man, it just seems like such a distant memory and it really wasn't all that long ago, you know what I mean? But it's just, life is just progressing at such a fucking pace when you're in this industry that you seem to take a step back and forget where how far you've came and, you know, those, those sort of times. And uh, this has given me a, a lot of time to really reflect on whatever, like, uh, you know, on my musical journey and how far I've came and the people, that, and the amazing friends that I've met in the industry over the years, promoters and DJs alike, still speak to a lot of them, you know, even... Even now, uh, you know, the promoters are still keeping contact with them, even though I'm not playing with them. Papa in Australia, I'd be messaging him and a few other ones, you know. Made some really good, amazing friends. Like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. <coughs> um, what was I going to say there? My mind is actually after going blank. <coughs> what was, Sorry, what were you saying there? My mind, I was trying to think of something else to talk about and then I was trying to reference something else. So, we're, what was we're it? Ta- 
we were talking about the the time I brought you up to. Oh, we were touching ah. on social media, and then we're, we went on to uh, me bringing you up to play the gig. And sorry, no, I, I remember now what I was going to say, but <laughs> I remember the thing about that room was I don't know whether it was because you had really good speakers or not, but the sound sounded so good in it when we were making like um, proper order and next level. Oh, it's mad so because that was just a that was just a normal room. Like I'm sitting here in my studio, uh, which um, Giuseppe Yattaviani helped me design. So like. I don't know, it cost me a good few quid. But I remember the sound in your studio being so amazing. So it's mad how certain spaces or that can just have that magic magic sound in it and you don't really have to do much to it. It's mad. I'm in, I'm in the process of doing my studio now as well. Giuseppe actually helped me with that as well. But he's he just gave me the design. I'm going to be doing all the work to it myself, all the panels and whatever. So it's that room... Believe it or not, I have the same speakers now that I used the Genelex, right? Back then, I'm not sure if I had the Genelex. I think I did, actually. We were making that track. But the acoustics in that room, it, I think it's something Giuseppe explained to me about the sweet spot in the room. The mm. sweet spot was just fucking everywhere in that room, no matter yeah, where was, you stood. Yeah. It, mm. it, everything sounded incredible. I don't know why. When I moved here to the studio now, where I'm at now, I struggled, man. I couldn't get a kick and bass to sit for a month. It was just my ears were so attuned. I ended up having to make music in my headphones, which is a bad idea for a while, uh, just until I get got myself comfortable. But, uh, yeah, man, it was just like, if I listen back to those tracks now, they're really well mixed down, even though they were like, you know, pretty basic tracks, but the sound pretty rounded compared to the tech stuff that I make now. It's just that room is just incredible sound. Yeah. And like, do you, do you feel, are you comfortable in the studio that you're in now? You're saying you're getting just happy to help you. Well, what is it? it? It's, the acoustics are good. You know, I've, I've obviously written music in here now and, you know, I'm comfortable with that. It's just the look of it, man. It's a fucking kip and it's dusty as fuck. I put, I don't know if you can see it. You can probably see it on the camera now. Those, just those shitty tiles that you buy, they're just stuck everywhere, right? Mm. And it's just, there's no real plan of action. It's just like wherever there's a fucking bit of plaster, a tile is stuck over it. So over the years, I've noticed loads of dust in my studio and they're gathering dust, really. The spongy stuff is like uh, gathering the dust. Speaking to a few guys and they said dust was causing the problem. So I'm just going to strip everything back, man, and, and make nice panels. And I want to make the space a bit more vibrant. It's pretty dark in here. The light's on now, but when I'm working, it's just like a bat cave. So I'm going to yeah. strip it all back, put a new a lighter floor down put the panels up nice some nice lighting just make it a wee bit more uh, peaceful in here and sort of like a, a nice workspace that I want to come into because it, it is a bit dark and morbid at the minute so I think that's just the general plan is just to sort of jazz it up a wee bit and get get the acoustics a bit better uh, you know you love doing all this stuff yourself don't you because I'll give you a story about me um, I'm not really the most uh <laughs> what would the word be instructionally gifted person that, that you would come across so like the, the uh, we have spoke about this man before loads of times so like the, <laughs> I told the story in, in the in the last episode where um, it might have been the one before that where it was New Year's Day where I fell and hurt myself and making a tick I'm just start laughing at myself a little bit but then later on that day the, the sink in the kitchen was blocked and I got the plunger and Oh man, I just made things worse. Nearly flooded the kitchen. <laughs> me oh, mate, man. me mate is a plumber. He had to come down and fix it the next day. But it was literally just stuff was stuck in the pipe. But there was water going everywhere, and I was losing my mind and giving out to myself. And I said, "Why did I do this?" And uh, 
So I won't be going near the kitchen sink ever again. But you're, you're the opposite. You like even from seeing on, um, on your uh, Instagram, you love building stuff and um, the construction thing. And you did like your TV and your fireplace and all that. And I tell you, I'm like. I don't know whether it's is, is it me being lazy. I don't know whether I no man. I look, it's just I think I love the creative process, right? Yeah. And before I even I was always into music since I was thirteen, but I started working on building sites when I was fourteen years old on the summer. You know what I mean? I was I used to work two jobs when I started getting old enough. I worked in a chicken factory packing chicken caves on a night shift just to get money to buy records and stuff. And then at the summer and the weekends, I would work with my dad on the construction site and he was always had loads of properties going whatever so went into the family business then after a while and then eventually became a foreman of the sites we we have built over like 400 houses do you know what I mean like and I was overseeing a, a good part of that like uh, so I sort of like through doing that I not only got to learn from uh, the process of how how building is done but actually behind the scenes it, basically everything about it so I, I sort of like came out of whenever my DJ and took off I packed that all in so I still have a real passion for it and it's, you know my dad obviously massive in the construction my dad actually lost all his fingers when he was young not young but in his, I think he was 35 or 40 you know those black grabs that come down left the blocks he got his fingers caught and those took, took all his fingers off and he couldn't hold a hammer so his whole trade was gone so the government gave him uh, claim because he had the like uh, obviously loss of earnings and he started a construction company and that's how he got his foot on the ladder and through that he built everything up but he always had like a real passion for construction and then I sort of followed in his footsteps so I'm the sort of guy that if I don't know how to do it I'll try it do you know what I mean I'll put my hand on anything like see that fireplace and all that was my first time doing anything God, and even the fence that I put up at the front of the house I've never done I it was the very first time ever doing it so I like to believe that you know I have that knowledge and know how to I think if you have the basics and you can sort of like mm. you're, you're willing to like maybe it is a bit risky because you're playing a lot of money but well, I, just, I, I really enjoy it it gives me a balance from, from what I'm doing like there for example I've took on some work <coughs> and I'm just in the studio or else I'm away doing something else and it gives me a nice balance yeah, I think like the, even like you, doing stuff like that, it can be really good for your head. Um, because yeah, you're 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 using your hands, you're thinking, <coughs> you're uh, you're putting stuff together, you're building something from start to finish. There's a feeling of accompl- accomplishment with it when you finish the job and you get a bit of pride in yourself and stuff. Like even yeah. uh, putting like I got a set of the new Pioneer decks to here beside me. Even putting to get together the table for them the other day. Now, it took me a while to do it because I did it the wrong way because I'm brutal at all this stuff. But, Ikea but, job, was it? <laughs> but, and I don't know. I don't, like, the time just seems to fly by when you're doing stuff like that. And uh, I just find it, 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 it's it like wasn't. You say, man, it's accomplishment. It's the sense yeah. of like the creative process, taking something from nothing and seeing something at the end of it is something that you will take uh, a great sense of pride from because you're involved in music. And even DJ, even DJ sets to a certain extent or or a creative process, if you know what I mean, taking people on a journey, building the crowd, doing it's it's all a journey, creative process. Like, I I, I love working construction man. Like I would come out of the studio and go into the house, and I would work to twelve o'clock at night in the house. I was just saying to you there, I'm covered in varnish, mm-hmm. varnishing doors. I just love it, man. I just can't take myself away from it, and it's just you know it can become I have a sort of obsessive personality where. 
and sometimes you need to give himself a fucking kick like and say you mm-hmm. know your family you need to spend a bit of time with your family here because you're just you know doing doing your own thing and whatever like and you know I have to give him pinch myself the odd time yeah, like. I think I think uh, p- p- creative people like yourself myself I think we're wired just a little bit differently at times and just need to yeah. sort of hop on and be a normal human being at times as well yeah um, but um, we, we've talked about a lot of like, tragic things that have happened but the most the most tragic thing for me last year was uh, Liverpool finally winning the league after 30 years. So I'd just like to, uh, you're a Liverpool fan. Well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, actually, <laughs> because, well, maybe not now, not now, This this over the last couple of weeks where Mom have had serious injuries and we're playing brutal football, very inconsistent, and United seem to have found a bit of form. In fact, all my... Uh, friends and everything I'll just get this in here like all my friends United friends like they seem to have come out of their cave and the WhatsApp groups yeah, I've, no, I've noticed that myself man there seems to be a lot more United hats flowing around and I'm just saying to myself right, where, where, where are you for the last few years when they weren't that good you know like man look listen I'm a massive football fan and I speak to Neil Scarborough as well he's a massive Liverpool fan and like all my, my friends most of them are Liverpool fans and I can't even I, I can't even get into watching football now, man. Because see, without the crowd and everything, it just doesn't have the same buzz. Like I, I'll just watch the highlights. I watched the United and Liverpool uh, FA Cup match that you beat us. It could have went anyway. You know, the one finished was three two, and that was the first decent game of football that I've watched because the two teams actually played played pretty well, and it, it became the contest that it was all those years ago for the first time in a long, long time. The, the game the week before that was was terrible like, I think United probably should have won it with two late chances at the end but that yeah. game that game at Anfield I hate that game like I, like I, I've, I've historically hated Liverpool and I probably always will just that's just from how I was brought up and the rivalry between the two teams but it's it, 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 it's a bit different now I don't know whether it's since Gerrard left or something I don't I can't think of any one player off Liverpool that I actually don't like or that that yeah. I think is a bit of a dickhead. I don't, I think maybe Andy Robertson can be a little bit snide or a bit cheeky at times but do you know what I would love to have him on my team. I don't I don't know it's, it's just it's a little bit different but like that 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 moment when they won the league last year like Edel my wife obviously supports Liverpool so uh, I've had to she's had a, a good time with football over the past few years whereas I haven't but uh Man, listen, Liverpool played some unbelievable football last season. There's no one can take it away from them. The football they were playing was ridiculous. Mm. The, fl- the fluent, so fluent, so like, but see now, just this last like four or five games, I've just got to realise that we don't really have a squad depth, if you know what I mean. We don't have a bench because we've picked up like four or five industry, in- injuries there over the last uh, couple of months and the team just seems very disjointed at the minute. We've, we have no real depth because a lot of the players that won that league last year were starting every single game and they've become knackered. They're tired now, you know what I mean? You can see the fatigue uh, because there's no real rotation with Klopp. The odd player he'd rotate, but Man City have a ridiculous bench. You know what I mean? They have that depth, so I think it's going to be their year. United are coming back, man. I mean, I think Ollie's doing a yeah, decent I, enough job. I, I can't see United you know, win the league. I, I, no, I, I don't. I, I, I think like, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting carried away. I, I'll be honest, it's, it's really... Good and I found it like I'm obsessed with Man United and I'm obsessed with football and it's which one of my escapes from everything else going on in my life. I I, I enjoy it. It's I all I do is read football stuff all day long. 
but uh, I'm, I'm certainly not getting carried away but where they are I think it's just a really strange season obviously anything can happen but um, I'd be very surprised if they won the league I'd be delighted but as you were, as you were saying and you come back to the point it, it, it just it feels a little bit empty um, with, with no crowds man like it's it's the same as playing a gig in an empty club. It's it's it's, it's the yeah. it's the people that are at the event or at you're, the match that make the game. You, you talk about fading, you're fading off. Yeah, it's the it's the atmosphere. It's never the people that are performing the action that are providing the entertainment. It's the, it's everything together, and it's it's the atmosphere in the crowd. It's it's all that type of stuff, and it just feels a little bit sterile watching football. Like even like United won that won that game nine 0 the other night and. I honestly just felt sorry for Southampton as as the, as the goals were going in because it just felt like it's just like a training game or something. It was, it was weird. I know, man. It's like I think the whole social aspect of of watching football as well and going out with your mates for a pint and all it all works in hand in hand and with no crowd and no social aspect involved. It's just like you're just you're supporting your team, but you're just like tuned in to see if they won. But there's no like the rivalry isn't the same. You know, I haven't like. I, I, I used to have people tortured do you know what I mean we have whatsapp groups and all there and they used to be absolutely lit you know what yeah, I mean it's when not like it's, it's like I, be, I used to be like that with some of my mates as well but now now we sort of just rationally discuss it where there's no slaggings around anymore like it's weird but like speaking yeah. about the United Liverpool game like that that's that's the game I've gone to in Old Trafford over the past couple of years I went in 2018 when United won 2-1 and the year after it was nil all but that was at, that the nil all draw sort of affected Liverpool because then they did they lost the league by a point so it was yeah. it was but the atmospheres at those games man they, they, I wouldn't go to a, a, another game say like United were playing them. If playing West Brom or something I want to go to a game that's on edge and you can feel the hatred and the tension and like I'm not an, I'm I'm not a an aggressive violent person but, but football gets me going and I really enjoy it and just that a, that atmosphere is it's 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 a nice release to have, and once the game ends, you, you usually sort of come back down to earth a little bit. But um, I think, mom, we we should bring back the toilet roll challenge. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What what was it you got? I think you got about twenty got, or something. Wasn't it? I got twenty one, but just just took two off because I had it off the wall. But I, sh- <laughs> I should have actually got three added on because if you really look at that video, the interchanging of the feet when it comes off that yeah, wall man. is just. Fucking iconic, like I think. Uh, I think Jurgen Klopp will be on to you after this podcast to get you on. So maybe any go to centre half now. Oh man, I used to play a bit of football back in the day, but I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, the the brain says yes now, but the feet say no. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Sorry, you in your conservatory, toe tapping a bit of ball yeah, roll. You can't go even go and play anywhere now, anyway. So uh, I think I think that's that that could uh, that could wrap up the the podcast for this week, man. Yeah. But like, I just want to say. Um, thanks very much for coming on to the podcast and speaking about stuff that's so personal and I, yeah. I, I really hope that speaking about it ha- has has helped you and I just want you to know that if you ever need to speak about anything regards to that kind of stuff I'm always there if you want to talk to me but yeah, I, just course, wanna, I just want to say like the, the, the best thing to do is to, to, I don't I think your dad would be fairly similar to myself whereas he wouldn't want you sitting around feeling sad he no, wants you to just keep doing what you're doing and Keep, so, make, keep making him proud yeah man absolutely and I've come to sort of like that point now where I'm like I said I'm turning grief into good memories and you know I really appreciate the, the chat we've had today and I don't get to talk to many people about it in fact you're probably the only person that I have talk, spoken to about it before this podcast like a couple of months ago 
So I know you're always there and a few of my other friends are always there if ever need an ear just to like fucking talk shit or whatever. And uh, yeah, man, it's just like, let's hope times change and, you know, things, it's a bit more positivity going forward over the next X amount of months. That's things, all things, things always get better and they always work out in the end. So let's, let's, yeah. let's hope that happens over the next few months and things do get better. But like, thank you very much, man. Um, thanks for tuning into this episode and uh, really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed it. As I said before, I keep my DMs open on Instagram if there's anything I can help you with. And if you are struggling with anything out there, please reach out to a mental health professional. And as I said before, um, asking for help isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. So once again, thank you very much to Snyder. Thanks, guys. And um, I'll speak to you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.